DBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Doubters Believers Alliance. That just has a good ring to it. Can I just say that? It's just, I love the ring. Doubters Believers Alliance. Um, yeah, guess I can jump right into it. I, I usually like to talk a little bit more than that, but... Uh, don't oh I think I told last week about how our ceiling our neighbor ceiling collapsed well we've heard nothing from them or from our building so I think everything is good I think they fixed what they needed to fix so yeah hopefully hopefully that goes I don't know goes okay um what else what else is it gonna say am I miss anything guys out there that you can think of that I should say uh, yeah, we've gotten some good comments from people online about um, hell from my talk last week. So keep keep writing in. I don't care if it's a couple weeks later. I still always get um, comments from, from other things. So, yeah. Oh, one cool thing I will say. Uh, this is just uh, like a little humble brag. But somebody, uh, you know, they, what is it? Um... You know, they have, like, Music Mondays, but then they have, like, Follow Fridays on, like, social media accounts. And there was this person who has a pretty, to me, has a pretty substantial following, like a couple thousand followers on Instagram. And I, my Rogue Theologian account was one of their Follow Fridays of, like, they thought that this this uh, was cool. Like, my account was cool. Like, they like my content. So... That was cool. A little thing it lets me know that my validation, um, I, I get validated. We don't need to get validated, but that uh, people like what I'm putting out. And I think when we all do creative things like Instagrams and things like that, we we like some sort of validation to hopefully that's impacting people. So that was a little bit. Um, so this talk is if you see it labeled um, coming up on your screen called toxic leaders I know I've talked a little bit about you know in a couple weeks past about Jesus and John Wayne and toxic masculinity and I'm sure what that'll play into here and one thing too as I've said before in weeks past why we've changed our name to doubters believers alliances is not that we just have to be beholden to like you know me preaching like a normal Sunday church sermon you know like here in you know Hebrews eleven thirteen. we see this like I'm not saying that you'll never see that from me but part of kind of not just wanting to be in the community more but to talk about current things within our own city and our own country and all you know things like that things that um, I feel like is important for not just our community here at Daughters Believers Alliance but just people who tune in, whether here live at Bryant Lake Bowl or, you know, online or during um, when it's up on the podcast. But, yeah, so I'm going to talk about toxic leadership. Um, I have a couple scripture verses that I'll hit on. But really is just to kind of get the conversation rolling on how to spot toxic leadership, how to maybe help those that you know um, that you might know, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a relationship or something, and that person really follows a toxic um, leader or a toxic individual, and hopefully we'll try to, I'll give you some sort of, I don't know, help along the way, maybe to see where you can um, spot that stuff out. So how this, how this kind of talk came about into my head when I was thinking about what to talk about today um, if many of you probably tuned in, hopefully, and watched uh, Reverend Dr. Scotty Williams, yes, he's my best friend. He spoke about two weeks ago here on the other Exodus about um, black people leaving evangelicalism. But he has his church back over in Switzerland, and he does a weekly thing called Coffee Talk, where it's just a conversation he has with like other ministers um, in his community, but. He bought a lot of cool new gear while he was here in the States because he wants to do a podcast too. 
and I turned him on to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which I'll talk a little bit about too. And we've talked about this. I briefly touched on it a few weeks back. And so he asked me if I could be on a Zoom, a Zoom video call where he interviewed me and we kind of had this back and forth about toxic leadership. So shout out to Scotty for having me on there. And if you want to go to, I think it's All Souls Church dot ch um and it's under a toxic leadership and it's just if you click on it it'll be our conversation um me and him um talking about mark driscoll and and other people as well um well not other people but other like signs and and things like that um so yeah uh we i'm definitely gonna hit on mark driscoll because i think he is someone that it's still fresh in our minds, still fresh in our, um, still still fresh in our minds of who he is and what he did. I'm also going to um, bring up Josh ha- Joshua Harris, um, which anybody who's been on Twitter or Instagram the last three days will see uh, what happened to him and what he did. Um, all all I'll say is a grifter's going to grift. Uh, I'll say that. But what does the Bible say about toxic leadership? And Amanda's going to put this up unless it's already been up there. But just real quickly, I mean, the Bible talks a lot about leadership, but I just found these two verses, and I think that they're um, kind of, kind of uh, what is it, good starting points. There we go. Proverbs 29.12 says, If a ruler listens to lies, all of their rulers will become wicked. Kind of self-explanatory. If a person who's in charge, who's the leader, if they expel lies and their whole leadership and their whole thing is based on lies, then their leadership is going to be in lies. Look at a pastor. Look at who you know, whatever leader in whatever field. If that person um, lies whatever leads people astray then all of their followers are therefore going to be um i'm not going to say become wicked but we'll kind of like lies beget lies beget lies beget lies and then matthew twenty three sixteen says woe to you blind guides you say if anyone swears by the temple it means nothing but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound bound by the bound excuse me bound by that oath so yeah that's pretty intense so kind of we're going to go and do a little cultural rabbit hole for the pretty much the rest of the service or talk and we can't none of us live in a vacuum none of us here live none of us wherever we listen from none of us live in a vacuum I know I will say I'm a little probably on social media maybe more than I need to be, but that's kind of like where I go to kind of just escape for a while. Just And it can be, it can be a, a cesspool, <laughs> you know, Twitter and Instagram and even Facebook sometimes. I've even had good friends who have, uh, they don't have Facebook anymore because of things like that. But toxic leadership is something that someone is not born with. It's something that is learned. It's behaviors that, and this is in any field. This is not just a pastor or within Christianity. This is poli- you know politicians. This is um, you know like a manager of a sports team. This could be um, someone like even in a marriage or something. Just being in leadership, whatever leadership role that is. Um, and it can just turn really, really toxic. But for the sake of kind of what we are here at Doubters Believers Alliance, I'm, I think I'm just going to use the acronym DBA. So DBA, Doubter Believers Alliance. So Mark Driscoll is a pastor. He's still a pastor. But he's a pastor who got really prominent and really big late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I want to say he's probably around 50, 50-ish. But, and I, and I had said this in my conversation with Scotty, that 
you anybody and i don't get this within church we're fine with people who have no training whatsoever leading us leading our leading us as adults leading our youth leading kids um but we would never have that if we went into a hospital and the doctor was like yeah i you know i've went to webmd yeah i've learned how to do open heart surgery through youtube I mean, that stuff would appall us, and we'd be like, there's no way in hell I'm going to have you work on me. But yet, so often in the church, most likely in evangelical world, because I was in the mainline Protestant world, and it's very, uh, very academic heavy, very, um, they, they make you go through all these hoops. And, it, and sometimes it can be overwhelming, but I understand why they do it, and it's actually to help you to make sure that you're a better a, a good leader. So this is more specifically through to the evangelical <clears throat> churches into the evangelical world because they're they don't push education as much, but education doesn't make us necessarily arrogant. It can make us arrogant, but it lets us know and it trains us to be the best individuals in whatever field we do. So Mark Driscoll didn't have any sort of, from what I've researched on him, any sort of Bible college training. He was a pastor. He was a member of this other church in the Seattle area. And then he became a youth pastor, was there for a number of years. And then he kind of had this like aura, this idea of, you know, I want to start a church in Seattle itself, like because they were in suburbia. And so he ended up getting you know it's kind of like how a church plant does they get you know a handful of people who believe in the, his message and what he's doing and and then they go and they start this church and when they started it it was maybe 10 20 30 people and then in a couple months it was a number of hundred and then you fast forward a number of years and he has a mega church um i don't know how some numbers that i've heard on this podcast that I'm listening to talking about it is somewhere with all the services he had and all the campuses somewhere up to like 15,000 people. So that's pretty incredible from just starting a few years before that to just a handful of people to having over 15,000 in these services. And what's troubling me even saying that is there's a lot of smart men and women who are ministers and they can't get more than 40 or 50 people in their church doors but yet you have people like Mark Driscoll who can get thousands. I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason or whatever, but it, you know, it is what it is. I will say Mark Driscoll, I'm not a fan of him at all, but the guy can speak. The guy has a booming voice. He uh, says, says like what he feels, shoots from the hip, but there's nothing to me, I, I go back to Ecclesiastes, is there's nothing new under the sun. And like, and I've heard the, I've heard snippets on this podcast that I'm listening, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and I've heard these snippets, and I'm like, when I listen to it, maybe it's because I've just been so jaded by churches and itself. I was like, he's not saying anything that people haven't heard before. However, um, the thing, my favorite, my favorite quote in in this podcast, and I might have said it here a few weeks ago. But my favorite thing was actually Tony Jones, who, um, who was part of the emerging church movement, who's actually here locally in the Twin Cities. He was like, um, he was like, Mark Driscoll didn't get fired from his church because he wasn't a good preacher and that he didn't care about people. He got fired from his church because he was an asshole. And let's just let that sink in. Like, if you got fired from if you get fired from a church job because you were an asshole, it shows you how toxic <laughs> you really were. Because a lot of times in any job, whether it's like a, a, a Christian job or not, for literally people to come out and be like, yeah, you got fired because you were so toxic is because of this. It's because you were an a-hole. But <sighs> there's so many stories within, within this whole podcast series because I think there's like seven or eight episodes so far and each of them are an hour long so obviously i'm not going to be able to touch on even a, a, a tenth of what 
this about toxic leadership but there was one story there's one story in this episode and this just kind of will pave the way to show you how bad his leadership was at his church and i always tell people all the time you look at a church you go into any church um you go into a ucc church you go into a catholic church you go into a a big baptist church you go into any mega church and you might love it you might dig it you people might be nice the theology might be good the music is great but you get back behind kind of like you pull back that curtain you look at the leadership and i will tell you almost every church has some sort of dysfunction in it It, it, they have dysfunction because we're human beings and we create these things called churches there's going to be some sort of dysfunction and i'm not saying all dysfunction is toxic or uh or even ill meaning sometimes it just happens because it happens and hopefully those people in those churches will fix that and rectify the things that they need well however so there was this woman and i don't i don't remember her name and that's kind of irrelevant but she had said that her and her husband had started at Mars Hill years before and that, you know, they just kind of fell in love with it. They weren't really religious people for whatever reason. They just were really, uh, they really loved what Mark Driscoll was saying and, and everything like that. And she was actually on staff, I think, at the church because she had, you know, some administrative background and became like kind of almost like Mark Driscoll's one of his personal like attendants or personal um people and and then um fast forward a little bit hit, uh, her husband gets sick and was in the hospital just i don't know if it was cancer or whatever and so she reached out to mark and mark invited her over to his house and then his family like made her food gave her some money you know just let her stay the night there because you know everything was so traumatic and all that stuff and so they're kind of paving the way like you're saying like he did this and he was such a nice pastor and sort of you know da 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 well then he gets out of the hospital everything's fine a number of months go by maybe even a number of years and they were at like this woman was saying that she was at um some like woman's group or something within the church and they were just talking and she had said you know what really what i would really love um and this would not just for mark but all, all the pastors here she's like i would really love if mark if mark um had some sort of mentor or some sort of um person over him not because he's doing anything wrong but that's just and, and she was what she was saying is there's no leader that shouldn't have leadership over them because it keeps us accountable and account like i have friends in my life that keep me accountable where i'm like hey should i be saying this here at dba should i say this on the podcast um is what am i thinking or what i'm saying is that you know okay to say you know and i and people know that i like pushing the bounds of sometimes of what's quote unquote normal christianity but I always try to stay like pose questions or whatever, but I will always be an advocate for, you know, mentorship and people needing the help that uh, they need. And when this woman said this about Mark to this woman's group, it just kind of got really silent. And, and she said it just got awkward and she didn't hear anything. And then she said the next day she gets a phone call from mark telling her to come into the office and it was a day that she was supposed to be off so she was like okay i went into the office and she's like i get into the office and she's like mark was there um it was me and then like four or five other like elders of the church are like on the church board and and this woman on the podcast broke down and she said they accused me of heresy called me a heretic and voted to kick me to kick me out of the church and to kick me out of my leadership position and she was like mark said didn't say a single word mark was at like it was like a big kind of like mahogany what you would think of like in a um office setting 
and she was like he didn't say a single word he just sat there with his arms closed whatever and she just got she got fired but not she's like not just that i get fired but and then and i've said this to people heresy is not a word that you just throw out um people joke about like oh i'm a heretic for saying that well because within christianity if you get pretty much a heretic is not only are you excommunicated from your church but in a lot of ways you're excommunicated from your faith and so what they were doing is not were they just kicking her out of mars hill but they were literally in a way saying you're out of the fold you're out of christianity and this was a woman who was i mean she was just devastated and she's like i knew at that point that mark was a very toxic leader because she was like all so and it was like he trained everyone at that church in a way that anything that was said about him you know um and any kind of what he would think of like leadership or what he should do better he would like almost it was like the gestapo like turning them in and then them getting in trouble and that was just one story um another one for the sake of time uh i'll say this and i'll make it quick and this is quite scary uh there was one of the other episodes in in this rise and fall of marcel and i think if amanda could it would be helpful in the show notes maybe to just to find that podcast uh, wherever and just like hyperlink it in there because i i swear the and it's it's done by christianity today which i'm not a big fan of christianity today usually but this i mean this series is just worth worth your time to listen if you want to know really what happened at the church and so they one of these other episodes they they interviewed this guy who used to be like the director of all like the tech and you know mars hill was like leading the charge um nationwide of like they were podcasting they were podcasting before it was popular they were doing videos like this on facebook before it was popular um they were doing youtube stuff before it was popular so this guy who was being interviewed he was like he got hired he was it and he was like you know when you go to a church and they have an open checkbook and they say you can spend whatever you want he's like from someone like me at first he's like that was awesome but then you look at it and you're like this is a church and i just have an open checkbook of what i can buy so he was like we have state-of-the-art equipment he's like some of this equipment was like so like cutting edge that you know the only people who had them were like movie theaters or like professional photographers or whatever and it wasn't even open to the public yet so he's like this is how cutting edge marcel and what they were doing and he was like there's one month where he's like i spent sixty thousand dollars just on gear and no one batted an eye and so he was like so that's just a little bit kind of where they're at financially at marcel they were not hurting whatsoever but this guy was saying like on how he knew that it was problems right there and he said he quit pretty soon after this well i think it was somewhere in europe or something mark driscoll gets hired to do a conference so him and his wife go over there and his kids and um he brings his entourage of people was all because they were going to film it they were going to put it on youtube and stuff so it was mark and his family and then like four or five other guys from the church who are all pretty much their audio visual team so they go over there and he's like it was only like an hour excuse me it was only like an hour long thing that he was the keynote for he's like then we get into this car and we we were driven through the city and then we get to this amazingly beautiful uh what is it kind of like a a all-inclusive resort and he was like we brought all of this stuff inside and all this gear inside and we were like pretty much telling mark like wow this is great this is awesome and the guy was saying that every suite had their own little like pool had their own all this stuff and I don't know if, as I'm saying this, I, I don't know if I said this or not last week, but if I do, I apologize. But he he said that uh, he looked out and Mark looked at him. 
because they were putting all the stuff in their rooms. And he's like, oh, thanks for, you know, putting us up here and letting us stay here. And Mark was like, you guys aren't staying here. He's like, this is for my wife and I. And he was like, once you're as famous as me or once you're it like me, this is what you get. And then Mark had told them where their hotel was and they said it was just this dingy, crappy, you know, like insect-ridden hotel that was so junky. And this guy was saying, this is how I knew that Mark didn't care about his church. He didn't care about his staff. He didn't care about that. He cared about his, his brand, his message. And I'm convinced that people, like, you just look at right now anybody who's watching this or will listen to this. Just think of people within Christianity right now, whether they're pastors or televangelists who, or whoever. I mean, even though televangelism isn't as big as, like, the 80s, but it's still around. Do these people legitimately care about about the people they're trying to reach or do they care more about their brand? Do they care more about their uh, their book sales or how many views they get on YouTube? Do they care about um, all, all of these things that ministers or people in Christianity are supposed to care about? And like I was saying to Scott when he was interviewing me for his thing on church, I said, yeah, DBA, we're, we're a brand. Like we're, 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 we're a group, but we need, we need to have a good name. We need to, we want to say good and, and relevant things and important things. And I said, that part I have no issue with. But I said, anybody here, and I said, we're like, we're this like democratic rule here where it's like everyone has a voice, uh, you know, the name, I had a different name that I liked for Revolution, and then Curtis, you brought this out, and we brought it, and we all agreed on it, and it was great. And so this community is not my community, it's our community. And that's, I feel like, how church churches should be run, or groups or organizations should be run. But for so often, you have people who, they lose track, especially ministers who are these toxic leaders, they lose track of what's important. They lose track of the message of helping people, of caring for people, taking care of the widow, the orphan, the poor, loving people unconditionally, and they somehow realize, hey, you know what, I'm a really good speaker. Hey, when I say something on YouTube, I get thousands of downloads, if not millions. Hey, my book that I was passionate about writing, it's shooting up, you know, the sales charts. And then something goes in their head where they get off track and it becomes less about church, it becomes less about community, becomes way less about Jesus, and it becomes them. But a big thing, like I was saying in this interview that I was interviewed about, was it's because I feel like a lot of these people, they had leadership over them, they had mentors, but somehow, some way, they jettisoned those kind of people out of their life because they knew they couldn't get to this mountaintop if these people were there because these people would say, hey, Mark, that's not cool. Mark, you shouldn't do this. Mark, you shouldn't say that or put in whoever you're thinking of. You shouldn't do this because if you did this, you're going to walk over people's backs. You're going to hurt people's feelings. This isn't something that you should do. So he jettisoned them out. And this is what I said earlier Toxic, toxic leadership isn't something you just wake up and you're going to be a bad leader. It's, it's things and chances and choices that you make in your life that will get to that point. And like I've said to Amanda, I'm sure if I was part of the Assemblies of God or a more evangelical denomination, I could have went up the ranks within that denomination or that thinking and have been a good speaker, a good communicator, but I, could, I didn't do it because I couldn't buy what they were selling. I couldn't buy their theology. Um, I didn't like their leadership structure. doesn't mean I don't like leadership. I just don't like their structure. So then instead of pushing my way up through it and hurting people, I kind of just bowed out and, and went a different way. And I've said here before, I have issues with how the UCC does things, but I have the utmost respect for people 
for the ministers in that that uh, denomination. And the one thing I will say is a lot of mainline Protestant denominations have, you know, their ministry boards or whatever you want to call it. Um, they have it not so the pastor. It's not just about financial things. And a lot of people, a lot of people's church, think church ministry boards are just you know so the pastor doesn't spend you know thousands upon thousands of dollars and that's part of it but a lot of what goes into it as well is keeping this keeping the pastor accountable for what he or she says so they're not speaking heresy they're not sleeping with congregants um they kind of keep that pastor accountable and you look at a lot of these people who are toxic leaders and they don't have that accountability they don't have people who will, like I just said, like, hey, you know, keep it, keep it, um, keep it this way. And, you know, when I turn this off every week, I ask the people who are here, like, hey, did that go good? Did I say what I said makes sense? And that's me literally asking them for accountability. That's me asking them, hey, did what I say not just make sense, but was it, you know, did I say anything that was, you know, too far off base? And so even that is my way of saying, of like reaching out to them and saying, hey, did I have this, um, I want this mentorship, I want this, this, um, what am I trying to say? I I want you guys to be in this with me. And so often uh, you don't see ministers like that. And I could, and this isn't just like a a poop on Mark Driscoll, sermon or talk but he this happens not you know like maybe five years ago and now because people just were like oh he got fired and he got let go but now you're hearing all these stories of people who you know worked with him intimately worked with him behind the scenes and they were like he was nothing like you think he is he was you see him preaching up there and you know all of it he was just so so vile you, you know, and and I actually was telling one of my coworkers at work this week about this podcast, and he went to the guy's website, to Mark Driscoll's website, and you just see like, and it's another white man, you know, as a pastor like himself, who he was like, oh, God's view on marriage, God's view on sexuality, God's view of whatever, and my coworker Travis was like, this isn't God's view, this is Mark's view, and he has all of these books or series that he has and then you click on it and he's selling them for all this so not only is he a pastor at some other church now he's he got fired and now he's some pastor at, at a church in arizona this is mark but then you go to his website and then you see all the crap that's that's up there that he's trying to sell and so that's why i said earlier a grifter is going to grift because you know, a, a snake oil salesman only knows how to be a snake oil salesman, so that's all that they're going to do. They might hide out for a while, but why they're hiding out is they're not trying to get better. They're just trying to come up with a new scheme in order to make more money off of people. Um, so, yeah, and, and I mean, I think I think a big... I think uh, a big thing that makes a bad toxic leader is narcissism. And I'm not trying to say all pastors are narcissistic. That's not at all what I'm saying. And having confidence and and passion and vigor to do what you do, that's not narcissistic. Narcissism within a pastorate is look at Mark Driscoll. I don't need anybody but myself. Um, only me and my family are what's important. I don't care what other people are going to say. I don't need authority over me. I don't need accountability. I don't need mentorship. Me, 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 me. And we all see pastors like that or leaders in the church and even outside the church. But when it seeps into the four walls of the church or any type of ministry, we kind of sit back and we're like, oh, this person's narcissistic. This person's narcissistic. And yes, narcissism is you know, a mental illness, but I feel like it's mental illness that's unchecked. And some people know that they're narcissistic. Like I've read 
like pastors' biographies where they will say in there, the reason I wasn't a good pastor is because I was a narcissist and that made me a bad leader. So some of these pastors are even saying like, hey, I know my ministry fell because I was a narcissist and why I am where I am today is because of this, you know, issue that I had. But, and my issue too is what I would say is if you're a, a congregant, if you're a member, even if you're a person who who is in a church and you know that you have a toxic pastor, you know you have toxic leadership, I'm not saying go gossip or whatever, but you need to have people be in accountability. And if that means you have to leave that church afterwards because you get kicked out or whatever, so be it. But we should we should keep people in authority when we have when we have people like Mark Driscoll and others running around you know having free reign to do whatever they want and the other thing the other person I was going to bring up uh, he's not a pastor but and I've you, you know I've talked about purity culture before and purity culture is something that to me is one of the most evil things that I was um, taught uh, by the church. But one of the people who was at the forefront of that was Josh Harris. And Joshua Harris wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He talked about how, you know, the, it, going back to like courtship and things like that, like he went for, all the way from being like, don't hold a girl's hand. Have you have them go out on a date with like their parents and like all this stuff? Well, so that happened in like the late '90s. I think his wife wrote a book about that, like from the woman's perspective. And I mean, this guy was going all over the country, all over the world, speaking at churches, like purity conferences, all over the place. So this guy was making a ton of money. He believed in what he said. Excuse me, in his message. But like I said, a grifter is going to grift. Well, so then, then he just kind of went away. You know, no one heard from, heard from him or about him for a long, long time. And then in 2019, he kind of just says, like, on um, social media, oh, not only is my wife and I getting divorced, um, I don't believe in God anymore. And then kind of at the tail end of this kind of announcement, he's like, I'm pulling off all the – I'm – pulling off i've contacted all these distributors and everything and every pretty much saying everything he ever taught he apologized for it he um said he was sorry he knows that it hurt people and he's um pulling it off from the shelves all of his stuff so that was pretty that was pretty uh huge for someone like him to do and so you were like well brian why are you saying that he's a toxic leader but now, since 2019, he's been actively on Twitter, actively on um, Instagram, active on TikTok, and he's been active in the deconstruction circles. He's been active in the evangelical movement, all these things, and he's interviewing people. He does a podcast. He's been, you know, on podcasts. But this is what I was saying earlier. Earlier this weekend, he. Uh, came out on his website and then he promoted this of uh, a deconstruction like guidebook and not only the deconstruction guidebook but then it was he had like an eight week seminar uh, that you could do on deconstruction and like losing your faith and it and I don't know if he's went to school if he has a master's in teaching or like has a doctor of education that could let him, you know, do this, but he was charging $1,700 for this eight-week course. And then this deconstruction book that he had, which was just like, oh, so now you're deconstructing. What do you want to do? And he was charging people $275 for this book on deconstruction or for this guidebook. And, guys, when he put that out, it was within matter of seconds where people were spamming i mean this blew up on the interwebs in the in these circles because they were like how dare you like you don't get it 
you don't get it. You can't do that. You're, you're saying you're apologetic. You're saying that you were wrong. You were saying you learned from your issues. Yeah, we're sorry that your marriage didn't work out. We're, you know, we're sorry that you're not a Christian if that meant something to you. But you, you can't begin to imagine the pain you inflicted on people within purity culture. Because I read that book. I don't know, Amanda, if you read that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I mean, literally telling you to hate your body, in essence, is what it did. Because, or your body's only good if someone else can love it. And if you let someone else love it that's not your spouse, then shame on you and you're a pitiful person. And I mean, that's just being light on the subject. So Joshua Harris, in essence, within like a day of him putting that up there, he put it, he took it down, he went to social media, said, oh, I didn't think this was gonna ruffle so many feathers, I apologize. Um, I'm, I took all this stuff down. And people were glad that he took it down, but they were like, how can you be so tone deaf? Like, read the room. And this is what I'm saying is, and I'm not mad, I was saying this to Amanda, like, we're all, we're all people trying to make money. I go to job every day to, to, to make money. Um, Curtis, you go to work to make money. We all do, we need a pair of bills. But when you are a person that made money on literally, and yes, he's in his 40s now. You know, he wrote that book 20 years ago. You might say, Brian, can't we forgive them? Can't people, you know, live and learn and, you know, you forget the past? Yeah, there's an extent to it. And, and within Christianity, there's, you know, there's, the, you know, you forgive someone. And I hate it when people are like, well, as a Christian, you're supposed to forgive and forget. Well, that's preposterous. You're supposed to forgive, but as a human being, we can't forgive, forget things that have harmed us. Because if we forget things that have harmed us, we're gonna, we might fall back into that later on. And so, I have, I have no problem with Joshua Harris in the in extent of he got divorced. Yeah, if that marriage was something that they shouldn't be in, then yeah, it should be done. Uh, I don't have a problem that he deconverted out of Christianity. Some people don't want to be Christians anymore. I have no issue with that. What I have an issue is here was this guy thinking just because he wrote something 20 years ago and he's apologized for writing it, that now he can go into the other camp that he is now a part of and start writing all this other stuff and start kind of grifting and doing that. So you can see how... I'm not saying he is as bad as Mark Driscoll per se, but it was just like he he didn't learn from his past failures and he turned around and he started doing it again. And I think it's because it's and I, I don't know, I don't obviously Josh isn't in the church anymore because he's clearly said it. But I wanted to be like, do, did you have people that you talked to before you did this? Did you have a group of friends or account, not, not even, and I don't like saying accountability partners because that sounds so Jesus-y and churchy, but there is something to it. There is something that, you know, I could say something to Curtis. I could, could text him and be like, hey, I want to say this at DBA. Is this appropriate? I don't have to have Curtis's permission to do it. But what I'm asking Curtis is like, hey, does this, is this going to be tone deaf if I say this? It, it, or is the community that we have, is they're going to accept that? And I think that's just being common sense, but it's also how I was trained in seminary and by like my family is just like, ha like read the room. See, see, you know, you're going to know what you can say and when you can't say. And then what, and I think what so many people in the, evangelical movement and a lot of evangelicals are like it was purity culture that did it for him is you had one of the founding people in essence of this purity culture movement he yeah he disappeared for a decade and then he comes out and is like now i mean your guys is group i mean your your party and now i'm going to start grifting again and doing this and that's why people are like you can't do that you we're letting you have this space and well you're welcome to it but you need to listen, and you need to hear the hurt. You need to see what we went through, not trying to make money off of it. So, last big thing I wanted to say is, 
I have a huge, huge issue with celebrity pastors. We can all just close our eyes and imagine celebrity pastors. And I'm not going to be the one up here to say, oh, a pastor shouldn't make a good salary. And I'm not even going to say what that salary is. Like, if you're a pastor and you make $100,000 and you want to buy a nice house, you want to have a nice car, great. But I don't have a problem if you're doing that is if you're giving money to the community around you. You're helping the homeless. You're, you know, donating time and energy at, like, the soup kitchen. You're trying to, you know, you help out at the Boys and Girls Clubs, whatever. But I feel like they're so, like, going down the line, Joel Olstein. Uh, Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Copeland, all these televangelists, whatever. You can't walk into a Walmart, a Target, other places where you can't see their book. You can't see, you know, any anything that is not written by them. And I, I think they all have contracts with, especially like Walmart and and other places. But. I just look at that stuff and I'm like, how can so many people believe that? Well, they believe it because these people will, I mean, they're, they're grifters and we should look up the definition of grifters, but it's like, it's true. I mean, that's all that they know how to do is that all that they know how to do is to make money and make money for themselves and for their brand. And I know, and if you read back about Joel Olstein, Joel Olstein didn't want to be a pastor I think it was his dad was a pa- was the pastor of the church where he was at, and Joel Olstein went to school to be in business. He wanted to be a businessman, and then finally his dad gave him the church. and And so, and I'm not having I don't have an issue if someone's like, "Oh, we're a business pastor because there's business that you have to do at a church," but to have him be the main pastor of this congregation is is preposterous and when the uh not was it wasn't hurricane katrina but just recently they had bad flooding down there within the last couple of years and um down in texas down in houston where i mean the whole city was underwater not like the whole city but you know what i mean stuff where people couldn't leave their houses and stuff and right outside of their church, and their church is so big, it used to be the old Houston Rockets Arena, which was an NBA team. It was like, because it's kind of like almost on this hill, a little hill. And so people so people were knocking on their door to literally get in, and no one would let them in. And this is one of the biggest churches in America. And then just recently, I don't know, somebody took a picture, and Joel Olstein pulls up to his church in this like $300,000 like Porsche or Lamborghini and he drove it and he was like you know I bought this for myself because this the congregation in essence bought it for me that and just and here I am sitting here in a bar in Minneapolis not making any money doing this and I'm fine with it I'm okay with it I'm not mad that I don't make money off of it but then I sit back and I look at people like Olstein and Copeland and all these things, and literally in the back of my head is I'm like, how do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night knowing you are a toxic leader, knowing that you're leading people astray? And I'm not even saying, like, I hate using that language, but you are. You're literally telling them, God wants you to have money. God wants you, uh, if you believe in Jesus, you're never going to hurt a day in a, a day in your life. I literally have family members, and this is a story, um, and I know they don't listen, so I don't care. <laughs> but there was <clears throat> some some people in my extended family got saved using their language at a Kenneth Copeland rally years and years and years and years ago, and it saved their marriage. Uh, things were great. And Kenneth Copeland's still around to this day. This guy has multi-million dollar jets, cars, you know, all the stuff. He was the one who was on TV last year when COVID came out and did that weird COVID-19, you know, breath of God. That's Kenneth Copeland. Well, anyway, these people in my family believed in it so much that, you know, one of the people was my aunt. Like, my aunt got sick of cancer 
in like the late um before 2010 started like somewhere like 2008 or 9 and i remember like she got cancer a few years before that and it went away they prayed they prayed they prayed it went away great was it because of prayer was it because of the chemotherapy i don't know and then the cancer came back and it was worse and it was terrible and i remember hearing you know because i'm family um they were praying they were praying they said you know they all the stuff that kenneth copeland taught them and taught them how to pray and all the people who they followed these these tally evangelists they were like god's not gonna let this person die our mother die my aunt die and so she ended up dying she ended up dying of cancer and she went from being just this vivaciously beautiful wonderful funny aunt or funny mother to just being dead from having literally the life sucked out of her and i remember their kids so my cousins literally saying like how did this happen why did this happen to us we we prayed and god told us that my mother was going to be healed and one of my cousins is a pastor is still a pastor to this day and he had a hard time going to church and preaching this love of god because he literally thought their whole family thought that because this pastor this televangelist said god's not going to let you hurt name it claim it if you claim it in the name of jesus that god's going to heal your whatever and claim that and and proclaim it then that's going to happen and i'm here to tell you that that's not biblical that's not here that your theology was so misguided and so misframed because you didn't you didn't put two and two together that guess what life sucks you get sick some people die from cancer some people live some people have a heart attack and survive it my dad had a heart attack and died from it i'm mad i'm angry that it happened i don't blame it on god and i don't look at any of the pastors that i had growing up and say oh you told me blah 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 i'm just like i realize hey you know what shitty things happen to good people and shitty things happen to bad people too and so does good things happen to bad people but and i mean that's where that story that i just said about this family member my aunt that's personal because i've seen what just kind of this toxic thinking this toxic theology does to people and i feel that we need to stand up not just as christians but even as non-religious people and we need to stand up to people to grifters people out there trying to sling sling some ounce of christianity or some sort of thing on christianity and we need to call them out to it and i'm not saying we should go on twitter and crucify them on twitter but we need to like write really good articles we need to write books we need to you know kind of i i think you saw with um jesus and john wayne we need more books like that we need more theologians and 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 pastors and scholars coming out really writing on toxic leadership and i think a lot of people don't do that because they get scared because they were like well what if i'm a part of some church or some denomination and then i rip it apart or i rip this person apart and i and, and i don't think there's a fine line to do it but i i just folks that's where i'm at i really feel that christianity has shot itself in the foot so much especially evangelical christianity because they want power in politics they want power in the church they want power in your family but they haven't they haven't had to be held accountable a lot of people within the church haven't needed to be accountable to to themselves to their congregation so they're free to do things in their own devices and it's just it's problematic it's problematic on so many levels um i'm gonna probably wrap up from there because i'm i'm hungry and i want to go home and eat some lunch but that being said 
toxic leadership if you see it if you see it in church if you have a family member that's you know that's in a toxic church i'm not saying bang them over the head and say get out of there but just kind of say hey mom dad grandma grandpa whoever it may be like have you seen what your pastor did do you see how he or she's treating the community do they have mentorship do they have people over them and like i said toxic leadership isn't something that someone just wakes up one day and they're like i'm going to be a bad leader i'm going to be a toxic leader but something along the way has caused them to go off track something has caused them to go off the rails and and they never got back on it so let's try to keep t and there's some toxic leaders that just need to be taken out of their positions there is but then there are also i think there is as a christian as as i am there needs to be people there needs to be some sort of grace there needs to be some sort of love but we also gotta draw boundaries and i'm i'm kind of happy for the evangelical movement and people in the deconstruction kind of part of their lives to say to josh harris like you can be in here you can be in our group but you you can't sell your stuff you can't like you cause so much hurt and there's not enough time that that has healed our pain so you can't do that and i and that's what groups can do that's what communities can do is we can tell people like hey you've hurt us and you don't have the time and the opportunity to go on grifting and doing the things you do um so yeah i hopefully this made sense to everyone my daughter's getting a little antsy so i'm gonna unless there's any questions anybody have any questions Alrighty. um we'll have a, we'll have our talk next week on the 22nd but not on the 29th so Take care, everyone, and have a good day. Bye.